keys, tackle box in my hand Gonna cast a few lines with my toes in the sand Pulling in a big catch makes me feel like a man But the wife, she just don't understand I love walleye, perch, trout and bass And if you don't like fishing, you can kiss my four-stroke right in the back Cause the fishes all tremble at the thought of me When I'm fishing for bunyan country Checking in with the main man, Eric, over at Destination Sporting Goods. Eric, uh, we had another weekend of fishing. Uh, weather-wise, wasn't so great, though. No, it wasn't. Uh, a little bit of rain, wind, and cold. Kind of kind of par for the course. Seems like uh, we get a nice opening weekend, and after that, we get a little bit of spell of something nasty. It didn't stop. Uh, well, I, I think it probably stopped some people from going out, but uh, I did see boats on the water. What were you hearing? You know, I mean... It was it was tough conditions, but the fish were still biting. There's no doubt about that. I mean, this this time of the year, they're up in the shallows almost regardless of what the weather's going to do. So there were still guys that made it out, still had some great success this weekend. All right. What uh, were the most, uh, uh, all the best lakes to be on? You know, it's still, it sounds like Lake Urban was still on fire, you know, for the entire week. That's been a really good lake. And uh, Cass Lake Chain was going really well, and, you know, even some of those little smaller lakes north of town, they seem to all be producing some really good fish so far this season. Okay. Well, I would think that, uh, you know, Cass Lake would uh, be doing, well, the, the chain generally does very, very well. But, of course, with that clear water, we had plenty of, uh, uh, of waves, and that definitely helps. Yeah, absolutely. Yep, no doubt. What were they wanting to bite on? Same old, same old? The jig and the minnow still is, you know, it's still worked opening weekend. And that's going to continue to work while those fish are still up in the shallows before they uh, head out to the main lake structure. But, I mean, there's still, you still got a couple weeks of that left. And even now guys are starting to even you know, pull some uh, some leashes around and, you know, we'll start seeing more crawlers and everything like that starting to head out the door. And, you know, once the water starts to warm up, that's kind of the better tactic to go with. So I heard shiner, shiner, shiner after the first weekend. Is it uh, a little diverse as far as what minnows you can use now? You know, you can always catch those fish with a fathead or anything else, but the, the spot tail signer does seem to be the not only the popular choice, but in most of these bigger bodies of water, that is the, the main food of choice for those fish. Is there a lure color that you're hearing about? You know, I think that's, that's really, you know, either a personal preference or, you know, there, there is some something to say about the color, too, but for the most part, it, it's that mineral that makes the biggest difference. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about, a little bit beyond our immediate area. What have you heard from, say, uh, Red Lake or Black Duck or up that way? From what I've heard, Red Lake has been absolutely on fire. We've been talking to our buddies up there at Mort's Resort, and, you know, from what we've heard, is it's, it's been crazy up there. The, the, the wind gets a little, a little bit rough sometimes out there, depending on which direction it's blowing. But even with a little bit of a good breeze, I mean, it's still, still very easy to get all your fish in a short amount of time. Yeah, they got a little bit uh, more liberal uh, slot limit like Leech Lake does, and that's going to make things a little easier, too. It does. The quality of fish up there is it's unbelievable, and there's just so many of them in there. It's an incredible fishery. Well, I know that most people are obviously going after walleyes. I had heard uh, opening weekend and into last week there was still a lot of people that were going after crappies. Have you heard that lately? The, the crappie fishing is actually just starting to get good right about now. I mean, it uh, took a little bit longer for that water to warm up than most years, but as soon as it hits that high 50s mark, that's when they seem to start coming up into the shallows to start their spawn. So that's, 
it started probably a couple days ago, and that's just the, the kickoff to a good panfish season. Well, we've got bass opener coming up this weekend. Uh, what are you hearing about that? About the bass, and uh, are, are you going to be going for bass? Uh, I don't think I'll be able to make it out again. We're we're still uh, we're still very busy in the shop here. So as Good. you already know, I I'm here pretty much every day. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, it's going to be that's that's another one. Kind of depends on the water temperature and stuff like that. But I mean, guys are already starting to catch them on accident while fishing for walleye. So I mean, that's it. Everybody knows around here it is excellent bass fishing. There is no question about that. Every lake is packed full of quality, quality bass fishing. If people are going to try it uh, this weekend, what should they be going for uh, or using early in the season? You know, I mean, if guys ask me, I'm a huge topwater guy. You know, whether that's uh, throwing a whopper plopper or, uh, you know, some kind of a frog, that's, that's, a fun, that's fun fishing for me. So that's what I would be grabbing right now. Okay. A couple weeks from now, we have the the muskie opener, and one of the things about Destination, your place is has got an amazing selection of muskie lures, uh, probably one of the best in the North Country. Yeah, I think it's I think it's safe to say we can almost give ourselves that title. I mean, I think uh, we focus on that really hard in here, and you know, we're starting to show our true colors with that. And now the season is only a couple weeks away, and we're we're getting excited for it. <laughs> yeah, and I'm, I'm you know. Um, used to be you wouldn't hear much musky fishing until after the 4th of July, but now uh, people are a little bit smarter, a little bit more sophisticated, and there's more people doing it, and you start hearing good reports from, from opening day on. Yeah, it's, uh, as, a, as a whole, that sport is getting more popular every single year. I don't know if it's just because it's something different or, you know, it's, it's the catch-and-release attitude that has started to take on really well, but whatever it is, it's, it's getting more popular every year, and Bemidji is, an absolute staple for musky fishermen. Guys come from all over the country to fish here. Okay. So if we're going out this weekend, uh, what, where would you steer us? I would probably stick you to, you know, for well, the musky fishing opens in two weeks. But when that time comes, uh, you know, I'd, I'd stick to Bemidji cast chain. And I'd use probably just do some trolling for, to kick off this first week with the water being a little colder. Okay. And uh, for the upcoming week, uh, going after walleyes and, and bass, of course, this weekend, where should we be? Uh, you know, stick to stick to the core lakes <laughs> if you just want to get some fish. Urban is still good. I mean, and now guys are starting to explore out on Lake Bemidji, and they're finding fish there, too. But, uh, you know, find the shoreline structure or as the season goes on, which, you know, it, it's day by day, of course, but they'll start moving back out into the main lake structure there, and you'll find them out there, too. Of course, you got all the details at uh, Destination Sporting Goods. you got everything we need, too. Uh, what are your hours, Eric? Uh, we are Monday through Saturday, 7 to 6.30 p.m., and then Sunday we are 9 to 5. Okay, and you got all the bait and lure and everything we need, right? Everything you guys need, absolutely. Okay, Eric, where are you located again? 508 Paul Bunyan Drive. That's right across from Taco Bell, Pizza Hut, and right next to Papa Murphy's. All right. Eric's the main man from uh, Destination Sporting Goods. Thanks for your time today, Eric. And when you get a chance, get out there. Good luck to you. Yeah, I'll get a chance hopefully sooner than later. There are three seasons in Minnesota. Fishing, ice fishing, and hell on earth. This is Fish and Paul Bunyan Country. Fish in Paul Bunyan Country. Ask the aquatic biologist. It is time to ask the aquatic biologist, Dr. Andrew Haves from Bemidji State University's aquatic biology program. And Andy, we can't go a year without having to talk about zebra mussels. I mean, let's be honest. Leech, Winnie, Cass, Bemidji, and now Red. 
five of the most popular fisheries in this area. That's not a coincidence. No, it's let's, not a shock at all. Let's start there. Um, it, it gets on boats, and those are, those are lakes that lots of boats go on. That's right. Uh-huh. So it just underscores how careful we need to be, first of all. Right. Okay. Secondly, um, what we want to know is we want that magic bullet, right? We want to solve this issue. I know there's been a lot of research. Are we getting anywhere in the research on, on how to kill zebra mussels? I'm sure we could come up with a way to kill zebra mussels. The problem is what it's going to do to the rest of the lake, right? Exactly. Yeah, we know how to kill organisms. As humans, we're really good at that. <laughs> yes. Uh, no. <laughs> I, I haven't uh, – there's nothing approved. Okay. Right, that I have not seen a single success story on where zebra mussels have entered a lake, and we've then eradicated them, or any other AIS for that matter. I'm sure there is an example out there someplace. Okay. And I found some examples related to insects where they were able to release essentially males that still reproduce with the females, but then the eggs are not viable. So there were some nasty mosquitoes and some nasty fruit flies and things like that that have been eradicated through that method. I found three instances of that this morning or, or recently. Okay. Uh, but... <clears throat> It's it's a once they're in, it's very challenging. The only other example that I'm aware of is where there was an AIS that got into a bay, one particular bay, in a large system, and they knew the the biologist found out very quickly, and they treated the entire bay with bleach. <laughs> oh, sacrificed the bay. Okay. Every organism in the bay was killed essentially. Sure. Yeah. And then that organism was. Eliminated from the system. But think about the cost of that. And uh, they're still not sure of the ramifications of that ecologically of the toxins that they put into that system. Right. Right. So. That is not a practical answer for most No. Waterways. We cannot kill every organism in Lake Bemidji. <clears throat> no. And that's the, I don't even know if you could do that right now because it's connected to so many other systems. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's not feasible. Are you aware of attempts out there that are going on currently to, to solve this. Yeah, there's phenomenal research being done down at the U. Right? Okay. Yeah, there's uh, the whole research center devoted to that, and uh, I'm confident that in time, there will be solid answers. Okay. Time is a very uh, nebulous term there. That's Andy. right. I was very careful with the wording. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, whether that is decades... <laughs> Hundreds yeah. of years, I don't know, years, decades, uh, time. Yeah. So where did zebra mussels come from? I, I know we've, we've, we've tackled this in the past, but it's a big story now. So let's – how did they get here to begin with? Ballast water of ships into the Great Lakes. Okay. Right. And so then, is it a European thing? I think so. Okay. Uh, yep. So from overseas – Came in, I know it came in the ballast waters, and then when a canal opened, it opened the floodgates to connect to other river systems, and then from there, the boats that are in those river systems have transported them to, uh, or animals, uh, right, that are connected in those ecosystems, yeah. transported them elsewhere. So, and and they are, I mean, they they don't die; they just keep reproducing. 
Right. They're just and they're extremely effective at connecting to the sub substrates that to boats mm-hmm. or docks or whatever else. Uh, they're good at connecting to things and moving around. Right. right. Now we know <laughs> the you know some of the uh, things that that are noticed almost immediately is is a clearing of the water. Um, I didn't think Cast Lake could get clearer, but I heard it is. <laughs> And now it's, you know, it's practically, a, for walleyes anyway, it's practically an all-night bite. That's, that's, it, it, it's still, it's, it was right. always a low-light fishery. Now it's an even lower-light fishery. Right. Yeah. So later and later. It's interesting, you know, how long it takes for the system to respond, whether they respond, wh- whether these zebra mussels take hold. That's uh, sporadic, right? It's not necessarily something that we can predict very easily. But the one thing that I have seen that has been a, a decent predictor, or at least better than most, is how intact the ecosystem is. So okay. if you have a very forested, natural ecosystem surrounding this system, it should be more resilient to colonization, at least the type of colonization that you see that causes the drastic changes in water clarity and drastic problems to the beaches and things like that. So. It's all guesswork, of course, um, but uh, early indications are, and by early I mean even a couple decades at this point, it does not seem to immediately impact a population, like, like a walleye population. The numbers still seem healthy, still seem to be doing well. Again, that's, that's the immediate thing we're seeing now. Right. We don't, again, uh, quite... You've made two statements in the past that I'll always remember. One of them, we don't know what's going to happen 50 years from now. I always think about that. The other one is the average fish is dead. That's my favorite line <laughs> of all time. But but we don't know what's going to happen down the line. Right now, though, people are concerned. Are all the walleyes leaving? They're not. No. Right? I, so throughout the state, uh, I think it's been very challenging to demonstrate changes in growth rates of walleye when populations have been influenced by zebra mussels or not, right? Mm-hmm. There's some cool research going on right now at BSU by Sam Peterson and Dr. Gilda, and I'm on the committee there, that shows that as you have substrates that are provided by zebra mussels, dead shells and things like that, the macroinvertebrate numbers go up because they can use those. Now, those mm-hmm. are simulated experiments, and they're, not, and they're dead zebra mussel shells, right? Mm-hmm. But still, it's entirely possible that they're changing and adapting to the ecosystem and the, and the changing food dynamics. So let's just say they uh, originally were focusing on zooplankton. They could switch to maybe some small macroinvertebrates, some small insects instead uh, to compensate. Right. So you're right. What 50 years might even be short term. Talk about 500 years. What is the lake going to look like? And it's easy to sit back in our chairs and say, I don't care. I'm not going to be here. But our children are and our children's children. I want my grandchildren to be able to fish for walleye, right? Yeah. And their grandchildren to be able to fish for walleye. So we need to think about these things. And all those little invisible things we don't see that they're eating, I mean, that's what teeny tiny little just released or just hatched fish eat too, Exactly, right. right. Yeah. But it's really complicated. Uh, Populations are good at compensating. So let's just say mortality of those little fish goes down or or goes up and 10% of them die. As soon as they switch to the next level in the food chain, the inverts or something, there's less of them there. 
So then competition is reduced, and they might actually grow faster at that stage to compensate for the mortality that occurred earlier on. Okay. So the, the complexity of these ecosystems is astounding, right? Yeah. And those types of compensatory mechanisms are sometimes what mask our ability to detect changes in growth at an adult. Mm-hmm. Even though there was massive changes that occurred at lower levels or lower, uh, you know, earlier life stages. Okay. So. I mean, like I say, we, we would we'd love the magic bullet so we wouldn't have to worry about checking our boats all the time. Right. But that's, that's not likely on the near horizon or no, maybe ever. In the meantime, we need to start thinking about checking our boats the same way we do about buckling seatbelts. Yeah. Not everybody liked that originally, but now it's extremely rare to see somebody who drives down the road without a seatbelt on. Yeah. Right. That's the same mindset we need Mm -hmm. with this AIS battle is that it is just part of our life. Yeah. You check your boat when you're done. Right. Very thoroughly, not just glance at it. Right. Yeah. So. Bottom line is stuff that wasn't in the lake shouldn't end up in the lake. Right. (laughs) That's why they don't like people deciding they're going to put smallmouth bass in a certain lake. That's right. It just, there's a reason for it. That's right. There's too many things going on for... Sure, catching the smallmouth might be nice, but what other impacts did they have on all of the other components of that ecosystem, right? Yeah. And it's tough to tease those things out. So Mother Nature is extremely smart. Yes. <laughs> Let's trust her. <laughs> yes. Well, this is a pretty typical, and I have an AIS discussion. Um, I have no solid answers when we're done, <laughs> and that's just that's the way it's going to be. For, for a while, while right? Yeah. We're trying. Yeah. Dr. Andrew Hafes uh, joining us as always uh, in our Ask the Aquatic Biologist feature. Andy, thanks for your time today. Thank you. Why do we love Miro? Well, Miro's visual collaboration platform lets our team work together in real time anywhere. Absolutely. We can organize ideas, visualize plans, create flowcharts, run engaging workshops, you name it. Really, Miro's Canvas has a template to get us started on any project. And video meetings are just way more productive when we can show our team ideas on a Miro board. Honestly, working remotely was nightmarish for us because we felt disconnected. But Miro's online whiteboard gets everyone on the same page. Also, we can use our other favorite tools with Miro. It's kind of like Miro is the... Center of our work universe? I know that sounds crazy, but yeah, it's how we do big things. Ready to see why our team uses Miro to work together? Getting started is so easy. Sign up today at Miro.com. That's M-I-R-O.com.